Thank you for joining us today as Pastor Tim shares the Word of God. Our prayer is that your life will be touched by the Spirit of Almighty God and constant, powerful truths that can be applied to your everyday life. Let's join Pastor Tim with today's message. I want to welcome you to Lesson 2 in Philippians. Philippians has given us some keys to the possession of joy in our life. And in our introduction, four thieves that can rob your joy that we talked about last week. Circumstances, people, things, and just worry. Now, I want you to watch out for these four thieves. Do you know that you can go to the doctor for an ailment? The doctor can prescribe you the medicine to get you well, and you go home and don't take it. It won't have done you any good to go to the doctor. So the the only way that coming to church is going to do you any good, or the only way for those who are joining us on podcasts is going to do you any good, is not if you hear this, but if you go and do what the doctor prescribed. Now, you can't let circumstances rob your joy. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. I know what's been done for you on the cross. You don't let circumstances of life rob your joy. Uh, And it's a daily fight. We talked about this in part one. It's a daily fight not to let people rob your joy. Because somebody is going to do something that don't suit you, not every day, but usually about every hour. So, I mean, just, they, that didn't suit me. That wasn't what should have happened. Somebody's going to make me mad. Somebody's going to offend me. Somebody's going to hurt my feelings. Somebody's not going to handle the situation like they should have handled it. You, don't, you refuse to let people rob your joy. You don't let things. You know, we ought to have things and not have things have us. Too many people's things have them right by the throat. Don't let things have you control you, dominate you. It's just stuff. Don't get all jerked up about it. And number four, you just can't let worry. You just can't let worry steal your joy. We introduced what we're going to be talking about in this series, four attitudes in life that maintain your joy. And this is the outline of all four chapters. Number one, a single mind. Number two, a submissive mind to others. Number three, a spiritual mind. And number four, a secure mind. That gives us an overview of Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And I want to now start into verse by verse and take a look at how to live in joy. How to not only live in joy, but how to increase your joy each and every day. In spite of being in prison in Rome, Paul is rejoicing. How do you do that? Well, the secret of Paul's joy in chapter 1 is having a single mind. He lives for Christ and the furtherance of the gospel. Now, depending upon your translations, but I counted them, in my translation, Christ is named 21 times in chapter 1. 21 times chapter 1 says Christ. And the gospel or good news, some of your translations say gospel, some say good news, the good news of the gospel. Whether your translation says gospel or good news, that's mentioned six times in chapter 1. So Paul is consumed with Christ and the gospel. And when, you're con- when that's your single mind, when you are consumed with the, 
with Christ and the furtherance of the gospel, the furtherance of biblical thinking, the call of God on your life, you walk in joy in spite of the circumstances of your life. And this is an attitude that you live in. When that's your mindset, you can be full of joy regardless of your circumstances. Now, we all are called into different ministries. If you are a believer, you are called into full-time ministry. Make sure you understand that. Well, I'm in a secular job. Well, you need to get saved. If you are a believer, you are in full-time ministry. Now, you minister as a carpenter, you minister as a plumber, you minister as a secretary, you minister as a beautician, you minister fixing people's flat tires. There's all kinds of ministries to other people. But in that, you are feathering the gospel through whatever avenue you do. I stand behind a podium here and I speak. That is my ministry. Your podium is fixing flat tires. Your podium is plumbing. Your podium is answering the telephone and taking dictations. All of us have a, a podium to preach from. Everybody has a podium that you preach from and you are called to minister. Your podium may be the landscape business. Whatever your podium is, that is where your giftings are used by God in meeting the needs of other people. Now, Paul rejoiced in spite of his circumstances. How did he do that? How did he do that? Well, chapter 1, and we're going to look at this in three sections, verse 1 through 11 Circumstances strengthened fellowship with others sharing the gospel. Verse 12 through verse 26, we're going to see circumstances of life promoted the furtherance of the gospel. See, regardless of his circumstances, he's in jail. Hey, this is just a good place to further the gospel. See, his car has a flat tire and he's on the side of the road. This is a good place to further the gospel. We're going to look in chapter 1, verse 12 through 26, the furtherance of the gospel. And then in verse 27 through verse 30, we're going to look at circumstances guards your faith in the gospel. Now, those are going to be our next three lessons. In this lesson, we're going to be in chapter 1. In our next three lessons, we're going to be in chapter 1. But in this lesson, we're going to do our best to get through verse 11. Let's get started. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and the deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All right, let's stop. We're writing to the church in Philippi, but I want you to look at the opening of this letter. Paul identifies himself as what? A slave of Christ. If there's any one concept in the whole scripture I would like for you to get, it would be that one sentence. And the understanding, why'd you do that? I felt like it. Why'd you do that? Wanted to. You're not a slave. I feel like doing a lot of things that I don't do because I have been bought with a very high price. I'm sick of this job, I'm quitting. I don't quit because I'm sick of this job. I have been assigned to this job by my master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes I'm happy, sometimes I'm mad at everybody that works here. 
but I don't quit because I didn't put myself here. I am a slave under obedience to my man. See, if you could ever come to understand that you are a slave and you've been bought with a high price, I wanted to do it. Felt good. I like getting high. I like getting drunk. You're a slave. You are under the ownership of someone who bought you with a very high price. And when you ever get a hold of that, it changes everything in your life. You don't start, nor do you stop. You don't quit. You don't move. You don't change. You're no longer run by your feelings, by your emotions, by your whims, by what you want to do. You realize whether I want to get up and go to work or whether I don't has nothing to do with it. I am a slave under the lordship of Jesus, and I am obedient to my master. I'll just have to get happy in the same pants I got mad in because I'm a slave. You got to understand what that means. And when you get that concept, it changes everything about your life. Verse 3, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. What? Did he just write from where? From where? In prison. And what is his whole thought? Oh, y'all pray for me. Oh, y'all pray for me. I'm just going through so much right now. Y'all pray. Everybody wants somebody to pray for them. When are you going to quit asking for prayer and start praying for other people? Oh, just pray for me. I'm in prison. Just pray for me. It's horrible down here. Just pray for me. I hadn't had anything to eat in three days. Just bread and water once a day. That's all. I mean, they've been whooping me. They've been beating me. Oh, somebody just pray for Listen to this. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to God. Whenever I pray, I'm, whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. Whenever I pray, I'm not bemoaning my circumstances. I'm thanking God for all of you. For you've been a partner in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it till now. And I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Now, you got to get a hold of this. This is a game changer for you. Paul is thinking of others. He's consumed with the believers in Philippi. Every recollection. You ought to, we don't have time. You ought to read what happened to Paul when he was in Philippi. They weren't sitting on the beach getting a suntan. Read Acts chapter, just make a note in your note. Read Acts chapter 16. When he was in Philippi, let me just quickly let you in on something. He was illegally arrested. He was beaten. He was placed in stocks. And he was humiliated before all the people publicly. Every time I think about you, I just give thanks. Whenever I pray, I'm just doing it with joy. I tell you, my time in Philippi, it was hell. All he can do is think about how great it was in Philippi. Let me tell you what happened to him while there. He's beaten. He was illegally arrested. He was placed in stocks. 
out of all of that, he just got great memories of what happened in Philippi. Thinking of you, remembering something good out of his time there. Let me tell you what happened while he was there. A jailer found Christ. And that's all he can remember. Can't remember being beat. Can't talk about all he went through. I tell you, it was just, when I was in Philippi, oh, I'll never go to Philippi again. Those people are there are miserable people. Every time I think about it, I just get so excited I'm beside myself. All I can do is just think about how good it was there. See, I mean, there's so much happened. Read chapter 16. Lydia and her house, a poor slave girl, demon-possessed, other Christians. I mean, it was unbelievable what all happened that Paul remembers, and he makes no mention of all that he went through. When you, if you could ever get your mind off of self and off of what you're going through, and what you're dealing with, and all the injustices that have happened to you, if you could ever get your mind off of that and get a single mind on Christ, on his call on your life, on you furthering the gospel, it would change everything for you. It would change everything for you. And you could begin to walk in a level of joy that you don't have never understood. You, you'll never be happy being selfish. Now, you can write that down in big letters. You will never be happy trying to gratify yourself. Number one, I have you in my mind. Number two, verse seven and eight. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the good news, the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ. Okay, he opens every time I think about you. I have you in my mind. Now where does he have others? Look in verse 7. Now where does he have others? I have you in my heart. I have you in my heart. We know, 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love others. 1 John 3, 18, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. An evidence of a Christian is not one who goes to church. An evidence of a Christian is one who is willing to forgive. If you're a Christian, you have to forgive. Look here, there's a lot of people in my life that don't deserve for me to forgive them. They need me to hold a grudge against them from now on. But as a Christian, I don't have that choice. I don't have that option. Because I need forgiveness. And because I happen to need forgiveness, there's only one way to get forgiveness. And that is for you to forgive. And the measure that I am forgiven is measured by my forgiving others. Now, when you forgive, you don't hold a grudge. You're not mad. You're not bitter. Guys, you got to forgive your dad. You have to forgive your mom. You have to forgive a business partner. Some of you guys have got to forgive a best friend who stole from you. You got to forgive a best friend who turned you into the cops. 
you got to forgive a best friend who you thought was your best friend and did you dirty. You'll never be full of joy until you forgive other people who have in fact wronged you. People wrong you. I get that. That's why you have to forgive. And you will never be full of joy living in bitterness. You can't be full of bitterness and full of joy at the same time. Bitterness has got to go. Verse 7. A special place in my heart. Your mate, your own children. Oh, now I love my kids. I'll tell you, Tim, I love my kids. No, you don't. Only in your mind, but not in your heart. Because if you had them in your heart, you wouldn't do what you did. See, you would think more about your kid than about your desire to get high. You would think more about your kid than your desire to get drunk. You'd think more about your kid than your desire to quit this job. You'd think more about your wife than your desire to flip your boss off and quit the job because you're sick of this. No, no, I got a wife. I got kids. I have them in my heart. So I, are you getting this? When you have, I love my kid. Don't tell me I don't love my kid. You do in your mind, but not in your heart. See, verse 3 and verse 7. Paul moves others, which first got to be in your mind. First, they have to be in your mind. But then you move others to be in, in your heart. Problem is, you only have yourself in your heart. Because when you want to, you go and do it. When it feels good, you do some more of it. When you feel like it, I go and do it. You only have yourself in your heart. When you have others in your heart, it changes everything. I want to go get drunk after work. I'm tired of all this pressure. I get that. But I have my wife in my heart. I have my kids in my heart. I have my grandkids in my heart. I have the young people in this church that are looking at me as an elder, as a man, as a businessman. I, I've got other people around here up and down the aisles looking. No, I, I don't doubt that you want to go get drunk. That doesn't surprise me. But you don't because you have others in your heart. See, Paul moves it from your mind to your heart. And to have joy, you have to live others centered. And you can't have joy being self-centered. Paul in prison, in terrible circumstances, he has other people in his mind and in his heart. How do you have joy? Number one, have others in your mind. Number two, have others in your heart. Move your love for your child from your mind to your heart. Move your love for your wife from your mind to your heart. Move your love for other people from your mind to your heart and let it begin to control the way you act and the way you think. Number three, let's move on. Verse nine, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Verse 9. I have you in my prayers. I have you in my prayers. Hold your place here. Go to Exodus chapter 28. 
Exodus chapter 28. Now, you got to remember, Paul, before he was Paul, was named Saul, and he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was an Old Testament scholar. So he understands how life with God works. Exodus chapter 28, we read about the clothing for the priest. Now, just scan with me in verse 4. Here are the garments. Here's how you make And now we're going to start designing the chest piece of the robe for the priest. Look in verse 9 and 10. Take two onyx stones, engrave on them the names of the tribes of Israel. Verse 15. Then with great skill and care, make a chest piece to be worn for seeking a decision from God. Now, we, we got the chest piece that we are making here. Now, just keep scanning down, verse 28. Then attach the bottom rings of the chest piece to the rings of the ephod with the blue cords. This will hold the chest piece securely to the ephod above the decorative slash. In this way, verse 29, Aaron will carry the names of the tribes of Israel on the sacred chest piece, where? Over... His what? Heart. When he goes into the holy place. All right. Who are the tribes of Israel? That's family. That's Aaron's family. See, that is the family of God. Now, the family of God, the high priest, is to carry the names of the family of God over his heart. Now, in the New Testament... God just changes his address. He doesn't change his standards for living. In the New Testament, 1 Peter chapter 2, very clear, calls you a priest, a royal priest, a holy priest. See, in the New Testament, the believer is a priest. You are the priest of your home. You are the priest of your family. You are the priest. You carry the names of your family over your heart into the holy place of God. Now, do you see this? This is what Paul... Okay, go back. Verse 7. Where did Paul get what he is writing in verse 7? He got that from Exodus chapter 28, verse 28 and 29. I, with my heart... See verse 7? So it's right, I should fill you with all you. I have a special place in my heart. What is that special place? We just read about it. See, your name is in that special place, in that chest piece over my heart. See, he's read that countless times. That's where you are to me. Your name is in that chest piece. I have you over my heart. Verse 9, I pray for you before God. Whenever you... Spend your days in prayer, taking your loved ones and their needs before God. Oh, God, I need this, and God, I need that, and God, I'm just going through some problems right now, and God, I need you to help me do this, and God, I need some money. God, I need a car. When you stop all that, and you start praying for other people, start getting others centered, you will be amazed at the joy that will come to you sitting right there in the dungeon. 
Sitting in a miserable situation in a bad circumstance, you can walk in joy in the middle of a lot of problems on your job. You can walk in joy because you're thinking about other people on the job and what they're going through. Now, just listen to your prayers and you'll be surprised to find it's all about yourself. And we don't see Paul praying for himself anywhere in this. I am praying for you. I am praying for other people. Now, verse 9, 10, 11. Look at this. He, now, I want you to notice what he prays for. He prays that they might experience overflowing, some of your translations say abounding love. Look in verse 9. And that they may grow in knowledge and discernment. Some of your translations say understanding. Christian love is not blind. The ability to walk in discernment and to distinguish right and wrong, good and bad, is a mark of spiritual maturity. It's a mark of spiritual maturity. Now, I am called on to love other people with an overwhelming love, but also walk in knowledge and understanding. Now, do you, are you reading that with me in verse 9? I'm not just loving. I am loving and knowledge and understanding. What does that mean? I'm not going to give a wino on the street money. Because I have knowledge and understanding with my love, and I know that will do him more harm than good. I have no intention of giving an able-bodied person money that ought to have a job. That's not love. Oh, we're supposed to love. Yes, you're supposed to love, but I pray along with your love that you have knowledge and understanding. So I'm not going to give an able-bodied person that's too lazy to work money, not because I don't have love, but because with my love I have knowledge and understanding. I pray that you have love and knowledge and understanding or discernment. Now, if you don't walk in knowledge and discernment, then misguided love will lead you in the wrong way. Under the guise of loving people, we cause more hurt to people acting like we're walking in love. Now, that's not love. That is no knowledge and no discernment. Verse 9, I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. Love without knowledge and understanding is dangerous. Knowledge and understanding without love is dangerous. Those all have to go together. That's why they're all in the same sentence. That's what Paul is praying. Next, verse 10. For I want you to understand what really matters is that you go to church on Sunday morning. You got a different translation? What really matters is what? That you live a pure and blameless life. That's what matters. What matters is that you live pure. Pure. I raise horses. And I have purebred horses. 
I have purebred horses. You know what that means? It's unmixed. It's not a little of this and a little of that and a little of this and a little of that. It's unmixed. And when your life is mixed with a little church and a little world and a little of this and a little of that, you don't amount to anything. I pray that you live a pure life. It's unmixed. Single-minded on God. It's unmixed. It's not a Christian on Sunday and then a heathen on Saturday night. And then with these friends, oh, praise the Lord. And with these friends, here, give me another one. See, pure. A pure life. I'm, verse 10. What really matters is that you live a pure and blameless life until the day of Christ's return. Verse 11. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. Hold your place there. You got to know what Galatians chapter 5 says. Back up to Galatians, a few pages. What is the fruit of your salvation? See, when you read something that you don't understand, you got to go to the Bible and figure this out. I'm filled with the fruit of my salvation. What does that mean? Okay, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Oh, okay. Here is the fruit of your salvation. Love, joy, peace, patience. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit of your salvation. Oh, I got saved last night, Brother Tim. Oh, that's good. I'll see. I'm not impressed with that. I'll see. Oh, I got saved last night. (laughs) How many times have you done that? What I'm impressed with is you walking in the fruit of your salvation, and that is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Romans chapter 1, verse 13, Paul compares winning the lost to Christ as bearing fruit. In Romans chapter 6, verse 22, Paul names holiness as spiritual fruit. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul exhorts us to be fruitful in every good work. Verse 11, may you always be filled, verse 11, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus. Church, the world, the Christian world is missing this. Christ produces character in your life. A true relationship with the Lord Jesus produces character in your life. And the reason Christians today are losing ground across America is because Christians have no character in their life They're Christian in name only. But when you are a Christian, you are upstanding businessman. When you are a Christian, you are a godly father. When you are a Christian, you are a godly mother. When you are a Christian, you don't just go to church and, oh, praise the Lord, and then go and beat your kids and cuss at the neighbors. When you are a Christian, it produces godly character inside you. May you be filled with the fruit of your salvation, 
the righteous character produced in your life by Christ Jesus. What I want to ask our church is, is your relationship with Christ Jesus producing the fruit of salvation in your daily life? Is in your daily life the fruit of salvation being manifest? Chapter 1, verse 1 through 11 starts out, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. Now, he is in prison. He's in bad set of circumstances. And he says, I have you in my mind, but it doesn't stop there. I have you in my heart, but it doesn't stop there. I have you in my prayers. How do you walk in joy? You walk with others in your mind, in your heart, and in your prayers. When you quit praying all that you're going through and all that you're dealing with, and you get your life centered on other people, in your mind, in your heart, and in your prayers, that kind of mentality will produce joy in your life in the midst of difficult situations that you personally, right now, may be going through. An acronym for joy, J-O-Y. Remember this, J-Jesus, O, others, and then Y, yourself. Jesus first, others next, yourself on the bottom. As we get our mind off of self and our self's lack, as we get our mind on others, as we get our heart on others, as we get our prayers on others, and we understand that our life is lived as a slave to the calling of the Lord on our life, your life will be filled with joy. Y'all stand. Well, I'm looking forward to this study. We're going to have a good time as we dive into Philippians. Read it over and over and over and be ready to go next week. Father, we thank you for your word of direction as we learn how to wash our minds with your word. Lord, that in spite of what we're going through and in spite of the circumstances that we're dealing with, that whatever life we have left on this earth, that we live it in joy. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We hope that you have been blessed, encouraged, and motivated by today's message. If you are interested in more messages by the pastors at CM Church, please log on to our website at www.cmchurch.com and click on our podcast link. You can also purchase series and other messages at our online store.